You guys want some cookies? 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 Welcome to the garage. Welcome to another very special edition of the Throwback Podcast. My name is Dan Hansis, and I'm joined as I always am, and I always have been over 100 episodes. My bosom buddy, Bobby Castro. Hey, Bob. We did it. We did oh, it. Yeah. 100, and in truth, about 109. <laughs> but some never made it to the ears right. of our listeners, our wonderful listeners. Uh, but one, this but is 100, 100 decent at best episodes on iTunes. It is something to be proud of, Bob, because a lot of people start podcasts. It's true. Podcast Starting a podcast is the aughts equivalent of starting a blog. Right. Uh, when you were in your 20s, in the 2000s, you either were starting a blog or you had two blogs or you had seven blogs, but 90% of blogs did not last more than six months because people just didn't put in the work. And podcasts are what that is now. Uh, so to make it to episode 100, Bob, and I am on a actual, actually successful podcast for the NFL that is just about to hit 1,000 episodes. Let's put too that many, in perspective, Too Bob. many. Um, Way too many. And that is... That is kind of unheard territory for most most podcasts. But what we've done here in this little garage, this rented garage that, that will burn to the ground at the end of today's show. Mm-hmm. Because how, when else are we going to have a reason to burn down this bitch you gotta than go big. 100? You got to go big. Uh, we did it, Bob. And it's something to be proud of. I am. It is. Even as you take shots at this podcast for not being successful uh, while claiming it's, it's a, an achievement... Yeah, so it's got a, you're, sending, you're, you're sending mixed messages here, but uh, you know a lot of people said it couldn't be done, Dan. That we that we would get to a hundred. A lot of people didn't believe in us. I thought we had fifteen, twenty, and it stops. <laughs> yeah, and, by a lot of people, I meant both of us. Like, no, I don't think either of us could have ever seen <laughs> us doing a hundred episodes. I remember as we were nearing forty, saying to you, "We should just do forty because it'd be like a top forty, and then we're done." Because that felt like a lot. Right, and there are those geniuses over at HeadGum who decided to part ways with us. Meanwhile, I can almost guarantee you that our podcast does bigger numbers than 90% of their current roster. Yeah. Uh, good job by you guys. Great business instincts. Uh, <laughs> yes. But uh, we kept going because you guys, the listeners, uh, stayed in touch with us on social media during our mini hiatus. We had, um, what was it, about 13, 15 months ago in that range. And, um, you know, we brought the show back and bought our own equipment and decided to just go it on Patreon.com, which turned out to be the best possible setup for this show because it removed any middleman and any bullshit and just made it exactly what it was, uh, uh, our show that we do together for fun to spend time with each other. And Mm -hmm. then just anybody who wants to listen can listen. That's all it is. It's a very simple conceit. Two bros listening to some music that ranges from okay to pretty good to terrible. Uh, and Wait, the fact there, that so no, many you're, people not throwing, are you're not throwing great in there? We listen to some great music. We're too. listening to a great album tonight, I'll yeah, tell you that. of course. Jeez, don't undersell this. They're no. having some great albums as well, of course. But the fact that we did 99 episodes and only one County Crows album to date, which was Recovering the Satellites, which was very early in the show's run, 
Um, that is a remarkable level of restraint by us, Bob. It really is. Considering the Counting Crows were a band that bonded us when we were becoming friends early in our friendship. This was something that you and I talked about with each other because in part, we weren't talking about it with anybody else. No, we weren't. And uh, yes, it, we'll get into that as, as this uh, show goes on. But um, I know for a fact, Bob, that this album came out in 1993 because it did coincide uh, with you and I and soccer, uh, that dreaded JV soccer team we were on. Yep. Uh, so it was an album that if we were listening to it in the summer of 93. It must have been something that came out in, let's say, let's say March 1993. That's incorrect. Ouch. But you are right. It's 1993. August and everything after came out on September 14th, mm. 1993. There you go. Just as we were entering high school, which in our... Wait, does that mean that we were listening to it the following summer? In our weird town. Wait, let's figure out the timing on this. This would have been as we were starting eighth grade. You and I didn't hang out until the following summer before entering ninth grade. So the album had already been out for a year almost. Right. That's interesting. I kind of thought it was something that was out. It was kind of fresh at the time, but no. No, So this was all bullshit. This entire relationship was built on soggy foundation. I think we were both finding the album at the time. I guess I thought we were a little closer to the ground floor on it, but that's fine. It's not a big deal. I mean, it's a very big deal. Should we just end this podcast I right now? I think maybe this is how it ends. It has to end this way. All right, guys. So this In was the flames. Th- thank you to everybody on <laughs> patreon.com slash throwback pod. No, that's interesting. That is very interesting. Well, I think it's a kind of a reflection of the time where, this, uh, this album came out and we didn't really get into it for another 10 months, nine months, because it was a slow burn. Mr. Jones obviously was the first single. Huge. And that must have been, we'll get into that when the song arrives, just the, the specifics of when that dropped as a single. Yep. Uh, but this was then when you and I really embraced it, it was probably late in the cycle. I would imagine maybe there was another single uh, out by that following summer. I'm sure, yeah. Um, but we, that's kind of when at least I discovered it was the summer of 94. Right. Uh, and it, I, I can tell you, and I am not exaggerating. And there are people that are music snobs that listen to pavement and stuff that will snicker just hearing this, but this album changed my life straight up. It completely reframed things that I cared about. Because before August and everything after, I only cared about Don Mattingly and Boomer Esiason and the Jets. That that pretty much and the Knicks. I cared about the Knicks. Right. Um, oh God, remember caring about the Knicks? That yeah, was that was fun. fun. It was yeah. fun. Uh, that was I was music was just not really on my radar. Uh, there were songs that I liked, and I grew up obviously like everybody else when you're in middle school and. Uh, going into high school and and you know all the songs on the radio, but in terms of an actual like loving an album, mm-hmm. this is it. This is ground zero for me. Uh, so it's a very important album, and I still think to me, again, there are people like that are not going to give Counting Crows respect, but I think this is one of the best albums, top to bottom, of the past thirty years. I think even music. And fuck you 
if you judge me for it. There's that anger. There's that anger that you've grown to love over 100 episodes of the Throwback Podcast. Yeah. Yeah, I think this was the first album that I loved that wasn't an easy album to love. I think that at this point, there was some music that I was gravitating towards. I loved Pearl Jam and a couple of other, like Aerosmith and Blind Melon and those kinds of bands around this time. But I think this was one that felt like a more adult album to me and something that I actually had to listen to to really get into it. And when I did, I loved it. The album flows incredibly. Uh, so I'm really excited to get into it. So it came out, Bob, in August 93. September, September 14th, 1993. So to put it on the board, September 14th, 1993. Uh, and what was going on at that time, Bob? A lot of big television shows came out this month. This was a great era for pop culture. TV shows that came out that month, X-Files. Never got into it, but I get it. I understand. Frasier. Ooh, Bob. Frazier. We'll save it. Animaniacs. Okay. Uh, Saved by the Bell, the new class. Saved yeah. by the Bell, the college years. College years was a piece of shit. NYPD Blue. Boy Meets World. And a young redheaded man took over for David Letterman. Conan. Conan premiered this month. Wow. And he got killed. Killed. Uh, people wrote him off almost immediately, and then he became one of the great entertainers of the last 25 years. Yes. There were movies, of course, that came out that month. Before Dan. you do that, Bob, you're calling oh, for the I'm aux calling cord. calling for the aux cord. But I can't. Uh, you brought it up. I have to hear it. It was a show that they put. In, they gave it a chance. You can't say they didn't give Gosseler and company a chance. When Saved by the Bell gave way to Saved by the Bell the college years, and the kids all matriculated to Cal U. Mm-hmm. They put that motherfucking show in primetime. It was a primetime show. They gave it a shot. And uh, this was the theme song that replaced, of course, the iconic Saved by the Bell theme that everyone knew. I'm standing at the end of tomorrow. And it promised to me how far I go. Sounds great. I'm standing at the end of tomorrow. I've never seen such a view before. Today. <laughs> oh yeah we, we got another one we have another hit on our hands what? fellas why was that recording like a blues recording from 1850 <laughs> it's terrible very bad so bad uh all right you want the ox i do because i was going to get into the movies that came out that month some huge movies came out dan dazed and confused okay a bronx tale oh yeah which our friend mike claims uh, claims that he was up for the role of Kalajimo. Yes. Even though it's completely bogus. This is the same Mike whose name was one letter off from Linda Evangelista. And he claimed that she was his cousin. Yes. He said Linda Evangelista was his cousin. And he said he was a finalist for the role of Kalajimo. And uh, <laughs> in both cases, no one believed him. <laughs> no one even came close. We told the Buffy story about Mike on the show, right? The Buffy letter? I don't know if we did. I can't remember. That's a risk, Bob. Remember, we repeat a story three times and the show ends. Now is not the right time. All right. (laughs) Uh, The program, of course, where 
I don't know about you, but there's only one thing about the program I remember. The guy laying in the road. Yeah, laying in the road as the cars drive by. And people were freaking out about that. That's what you were worried about, kids. Yeah, the, kids uh, were going to imitate the program. 90s. Yep. The good son. I also remember the compound fracture that the guy suffers on the field. I don't remember that. Of his leg. Uh, the good son I saw in the theater, Macaulay Culkin breaking bad. Yes, Elijah exactly. Wood wins in the end. Culkin. Spoiler alert. Fresh off Home Alone and Home Alone 2 is an evil, sadistic kid who kills a dog and several people before being pushed off a, cliff. a, rocky, cliff a rocky cliff to his death by his best friend's mom. I mean, it's a pretty it, heavy movie. I thought Elijah Wood did it. The mom does it? I can't remember. It's been a long time. It's either the mom or Wood. Maybe Wood drops an F-bomb on him and then kicks him off the cliff. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. But it was very, it was... Uh, it was pretty, I mean, it was... It was pretty heavy, yeah. As far as... Um, Kid actors trying to stretch their legs. It's right up there. It was a cool move. That and then he died in My Girl. He was really good at dying in the early 90s. He was awesome at dying in really extravagant ways. That was Bee Stings. Yep, Bee Stings. And uh, in... He's allergic to bees. The good son, he falls to his death. But Dan, all of these movies don't hold a candle to the most important movie that came out in September 93. Mitchell Guzan, at your service. Uh, I'm not from around here. What to tell? Well, I don't have any stories. Don't know what I want to be when I grow up. Don't care. Just as long as I live near the beach and don't have to wear a tie. Then I'll be styling. Styling? What? What? (laughs) Styling? Let me tell you what styling is. The perfect session. A-frame wave, ground swell, spitting out salt water in your face, doing a, a little lip action move. Girl's licking her lips right now in class. I call it a liquid draino, wannabe bullwinkle. I tell you no lie, my friends. It's a consciousness razor. <laughs> airborne. Yes. Air fucking born. <laughs> we are the biggest airborne fans in the world, and it's a cult classic. But I feel like we were on board with this before it became a cult classic. Is it classic. even a cult classic? Can you even call it that? I think 99% of the people out there have never heard of it. I think it's before. legitimately a cult classic, I but it, I, I guess there's there could be an argument there. It's a it's the if most people our age, if you say, Do you remember the rollerblading movie that yes. got played on cable all the time? They'll be like, Oh yeah, with the kid the kid with the long floppy brown hair and and Jack Black and Seth Green. It's a movie that if you turned on your TV Sunday at four o'clock in the afternoon or four fifty-seven, you would see a row of kids lined up at the top of a mountain to go down it. <laughs> not just big, any mountain. Not just any mountain. Where's the race? Devil's backbone. Yes. <laughs> You'd have a better chance if you were with us. Seth Green could not believe it. Seth Green was absolutely floored to learn that <laughs> Devil's Backbone was the choice. Bad choice. Listen to this. Oh, yeah. It's only the most dangerous hill in the whole town. He's the last guy who even tried to walk down that hill. He just got so messed up. He forgot who he was. I saw him. He pins in his head and his... Ugh. Well, anyway. It's-, <laughs> it's such a 90s trope uh, for there to be a place called Devil's Backbone. And then for the wacky support character to describe it in that manner yeah it's so perfect of its time it's so perfect uh it's a it's a fun ridiculous terrible great movie and you and i are such fans of mitchell goose in the lead that we tracked his not his career bob because his life there wasn't a career after this yeah we tracked his life uh years later 
after that movie had kind of come and gone on cable and been completely forgotten, forgotten. by everybody in the world except for us. Again, this is before it, whether it is or not a cult classic. Uh, at this time, it was not certainly. And in the mid two thousands, I was in the dead end job at the time, always looking to kill time. And Bob and I would converse during the weekdays, uh, workdays on IM, Buffoon 668, and Bono Man 2000. And one day we decided to track down the actual Mitchell Goosen, who was a man by the name of... Shane McDermott. Shane McDermott. And we found out that he was working in real estate in Texas. Yep. And um, I remember calling, this is about 2005 calling his office and he answered and it was a total mind fuck mitchell goosen answered the phone and it was you could not mistake his voice because he still he kind of had the california twang to it uh and um i think he even announced who he was and i froze and he's like hello hello and then I hung up and I was like, Bob, I just called him and he answered. <laughs> it was so exciting. It was so exciting. Did Nothing he, will ever be more exciting. Did he sound something like this? Popeye. Now there was a great man. Do you know you why? You want to know why. Never joined the hair club for men? At run. Because his motto was, I am what I am. Do you think Popeye ever worried about what he wore just so he could get olive oil in the sack? I should say not, dude. Is <laughs> the best movie, not the best well. <laughs> actor. And you know what? I, I, it's funny that that clip was just played, Bob, on a random February night in 2020, where he references Hair Club for Men because Cy Sperling, the founder of Hair Club for Men, passed away today at the Whoa. age of 78. Wow! Look at that. How about that? That's how you become the most popular music commentary podcast in the country. <laughs> Little nuggets like that. All right. What was the I, number one song, Bob? The number one song. Let's let's go overseas, Dan. We have a lot of overseas listeners we here. One hundred episodes in. If you go over the uh, Pacific, we have people in those seas. We're not talking about them. We're going to go over the Atlantic. Who in the Pacific? You know, people over in uh, Australia, in Guam, Australia, and Guam. We got a lot of people over that direction. Is that where Australia is? They're that way. Yeah. They're, oh, they they're in the Pacific. Yeah, they're that way. Oh. Yeah. I thought the, uh, the other way. You have to go a long way the other way to get there. Yeah. I think you got to go down, too. Down. Right, way let's far just get down. out of this. <laughs> the number one song in the UK. Oh! Bob actually turning it down when I just want this cranked. Do you know what it is immediately? Immediately, of course. Like, could you name... The artist, the artist, no, but the song, of course. Okay, what's the song called? This is Mr. Fucking Bane. <laughs> All right, here it comes. I always thought it was Call Mr. Raider. What is she actually saying? I have no idea. Oh, good. I uh, just looked up the lyrics. This is Culture Beat, by the way. Mr. Vane. Call him Mr. Raider. Call okay. him Mr. Wrong. Call him Mr. Vane. Call him Mr. Raider. Call him Mr. Wrong. Call him insane. Call me Mr. Vane. Call me what you like. 
I would love to do an album where we just cover all the best songs of this genre, this electro techno pop of 1992 and 1993. I would be very happy just to do an entire episode of the best songs from that era. Hey, guess what? We could do that. I love all these <laughs> completely terrible songs. Should we maybe crowdsource a playlist and then pick out the best 12? That's a good call. We'll we'll ask for very specific terms again. Only 1992 and 1993. It has to be in this range. Send us uh, your favorite songs from that era and we could build the playlist. Yep. It's just the same thing over and over again. If we were to ever do a live episode, that would be it, I think. That's a pretty good one. Not that we're ever going to do one because there's never been a good live podcast ever. It's not happened yet. No. So I don't want to attempt it like everybody else who has attempted it and failed. But if we did, this would be the episode. I've done a few of them now for the Around the NFL podcast. They are fun to be in attendance. Oh, it sounds like you guys are having so much fun. But there's a reason why this was the first time we did it and then didn't put it up. Really? Yeah, because it just... I don't know. And then some people, we did get a, a lot of feedback, like, where's that show? We want to hear it. Right. But I, I, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't land. Now, you guys, I've, I've listened to your live ones. I think they're honestly the only live podcast I've ever gotten all the way through. It's well, that's re- good. It's really. And in that, in that vein, um, Mr. Vane, in that Mr. Vane, do you remember the song from an artist named Corona? I don't know any of the artists aside from Technotronic and CNC Music Factory. That's it. Those are the only ones I can name. Uh, the the famous song is um, "This Is the Rhythm of the Night." This yes. is the rhythm okay. of the night. So before we we did a show at the Miami Improv um, ahead of the Super Bowl last month, and or I guess it was this month, and a guy from the Improv comes into the green room like five minutes before the show starts and he goes uh do you guys have a song you want to play uh like when you take the stage and when you when you come off and i have a tradition now that at the end of the show uh, we play hero by heroes by david bowie which i like that's cool but for this for whatever reason the first thing that popped in my head was um corona rhythm of the night so (laughs) this was the song (laughs) That people were blessed with. Blessed with. That's great. So the best part was so then, and I let them know that we will be going, taking the stage at the end of the song. And they're like, all right. And that's when you start the intro for the podcast song and all that. And then we walk and we're behind the front, uh, <laughs> the door to go onto the stage. And my podcast colleague, Greg Rosenthal, is freaking out because the song keeps going on and on and on. And he's completely convinced that this is like a seven-minute remix. But it wasn't. But these songs, they're like four minutes long, but they feel like they're 11 minutes long. Yeah, I know. Because they're just like the same song over and over again. again. And I uh, had the, the audience sit through the entire version of Corona. Rhythm of the Night. What a lucky audience. (laughs) (laughs) I made him earn it. All right. That will be a fun pod. Okay. Well, it's it's been fun going down memory lane, Bob, but it's time to to get to work, Bob, and start to dig in on, again, the album that changed my life. 
Step out the front door like a ghost into a fog Where no one notices the contrast of white on white And in between the moon and you The angels get a better view of the crumbling Difference between wrong and right Well I walk in the air Between the rain through myself and back again Where I don't know Maria says she's dying Through the door I hear her crying Why, I don't know Round here We always stand up straight Round here Something radiates Round here, obviously one of the most well-known Counting Crows songs. It is the lead lead-off track on August and Everything After, and it is also the second single released off August and Everything After. And I think this song, because it gets played on the radio a lot still, and I think it, the reason it does is that not only is it very much feel of its time and it has that nostalgia factor but I think it's a really kind of cool song I think the vibe of it is kind of unique and his voice his vocals really great in it and the music matches up with the the whole vibe that I think they're trying to express I think it's such a great way both to start the album and in general it's the type of song that you weren't really hearing from anyone else at the time yeah I mean it's longer than a lot of songs so that were five minutes. radio singles at the time it's emotive in a way that wasn't really common on the radio it's a completely unique kind of song and an amazing introduction to this band like it's the perfect track one and it's a perfect follow-up single to really let audiences know like this is what we sound like all right let's hear this part And I always love this as a live song. We've seen this band many times live uh, because... We've seen this band with live. With live. So, yeah. What a co-headline tour that was. Uh, but he always would kind of go off on tangents and he would connect it with Thunder Road by Bruce, which uh, hit me right in the thing that we don't reference anymore on this show. Uh, but uh, yeah. And this, this part of the song that's coming up is... There's a lot of great hooks in all these songs, but this one always slayed me this part. She's tired of life. She must be tired of something around here. She's always on my mind. Right here. Hey man, got lots of time. According to Adam Dirtz, the song begins with a guy walking out the front door of his house and leaving behind this woman. But the more he begins to leave people behind in his life, the more he feels like he's leaving himself behind as well. The less and less substantially he feels like he's becoming 
to himself. Whoa, who who cannot relate to that? As legitimate Counting Crows fans, we could tell you definitively, Adam Duritz explains his songs, I think, better than almost anyone. Like, he really has fucking, like, novels written, I think, before he writes a song. Yes. That's what it feels like. There's there's no um, doubt that there's no Swedish song factory that's put together any of his songs because his feelings, he is so (laughs) emotional describing them. And uh, it's... Depending on your point of view, either the one of the best parts of the co- concert or the worst part of the concert, when he just won't shut the fuck up, <laughs> <laughs> he won't shut up and sing. Anyway, uh, that was that did not chart on the Hot 100 due to rules in place at the te- time, but it was number 31 on the Hot 100 Airplay chart, number seven on the Modern Rock chart, number 10 on the Mainstream Top 40, and number 11 on the Album Rock chart. Canada peaked at number six. And uh, it reached the top 20 in Iceland, Bob, peaking at number 12. That's important. Now, this feels like a band that, again, talking about our UK listeners, maybe didn't cross over as much. Right. It could be wrong. This kind of music usually didn't. This is kind of heart. This is a different type of almost heartland American rock that maybe didn't find its way there. But who knows? If you're a UK listener, let us know if the Counting Crow is broke over there. And if, you, if they didn't, that's kind of your issue. That's on you guys. Start tearing the old man down. Run past the heather and down to the old road. Start turning the grain into the ground. Rolling a new leaf over. In the middle of the night, there's an old man shredding around in the gathering rain. Hey, mister, if you're going to walk on water, oh, could you drop a line my way? Oh, Omaha. So good. Fuck. <laughs> I think I remember to say that this whole album. It's been a while since I listened to this start to finish. I know you still you still have like an annual listen of this. Right? I oh yeah, I'll I'll come back to this album every year. And this song in particular, if I'm putting together some type of you know, a dinner mix or something, this one has always been Omaha is the one that I could put this on here, and it's going to fit right in with whatever kind of vibe I'm looking for. Right. It's such a great song. They are, they're, they're not the coolest looking guys, County Crows. No, but you know what? In 1994, when we were 14, they were, they were cool. No, wait a second. Durrits, looking to us. Durrits, Durrits had a look. Durrits had a look. I'm, I'm take Durrits right, out so of it. Right. I mean the band. Oh, the rest of them yeah. are fucking dorks. Okay. <laughs> That's what you mean. Okay. I mean, Durrits had the dreads, and they and that got progressively worse. It's as hard he got to older. even it's hard to even say that out loud now, knowing sort of where it ended up. But in '94, he was a he got a look. You, a, you understood cool look. why you understood he was it. getting laid a lot in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, but the rest of the band, those guys, I don't know how much lovemaking was going on, even on on the road. <laughs> like, was the guy that wore the air freshener the guitarist? Around his neck, was he even getting Duritz's fallaway scraps? Yeah, for, for for those of you listening, there was a guitar player who always wore an air freshener around his neck, and even Dad and I, as fans, when we realized that, we were pretty like, pretty put off. I hope my dad doesn't see that. <laughs> um, but Omaha is uh, what I was trying to say was that 
they're a great band. Yes. They, they, and you can hear that. One of my favorite, because uh, we're musicians. As listeners of the show now, over 100 episodes. Why would we do 100 episodes of. of a music podcast if we weren't? Yeah. Man. The Hammond B3 organ. Give me that every time. Yeah. Give me harmonicas and Hammond B3 organs. Give me that Heartland experience. And they kind of nailed it. I don't think they ever did it better, that type of sound, than on this song. I think they've done songs like this in later albums, but they were missing the organ. Or something was missing. The B3, bro. understand how so, anybody could not think this is a good there's song. There's nothing not to like about it. I struggle with that. Yeah. And I think that, you know, listening to this as a teenager, you'll see like we're going to get into some depressing songs and some sort of deeper songs. Yes. That took me time to really kind of latch onto. But on first listen, the uh, round here into Omaha was an amazing one-two punch where it's like you could just listen to that over and over again. Right. But what comes at number three, Dan? Um, I'm not familiar with this one, to be honest with you, but like there uh, might have been another one. All right, let's let's just check it out. Be strong. talk about this sometimes in this podcast i wonder what was going on at geffen records when they were listening to the album for the first time and this played i think david geffen just had an orgasm right at that moment is that how david geffen orgasms it is okay it is i've heard it you know that for a fact for a fact okay so it's not slander um like this has any song ever sounded more like a hit than this well, yeah, but I mean, in the 90s, this is up there. Like, yeah, Dan, like 47 Beatles songs. We'll start there. <laughs> Their entire catalog. <laughs> Paint myself in blue, red, and black. So and I remember. I can sing the song backwards. Oh, me too. Yeah, yeah, easily. I have a distinct memory of sitting in Spanish class in eighth grade, where I was terrible, terrible at Spanish. Couldn't roll my R's. Didn't even have a Spanish name. They just had to call you Bob. They went with Beto. So <laughs> I was the original Beto. You uh, failed too. So it's yes, like you know you didn't we all make failed. it. <laughs> but in the very back page of my notebook, like the back bind, you know the, the yes. I would write down the names of the songs I liked and the artists. And I just had like this whole like page of it. That's cute. And I remember when this song was kind of like at it, hitting its stride, debating whether to put it on. Cause it, the first few listens, there was just something about it that just felt a little different to me. Mm. And I thought I loved it, but I was also kind of like, 
I don't know. There was something about it where it took me a minute to really accept the fact that I liked it. And then hmm. once I wrote it down in the back, from that moment on, I was like, okay, I like this song. Wait, I think I love this song. Yeah. And then by the end of that year, it was my favorite song ever. It it grabbed me instantly. Uh, and it's the reason why I was interested. Again, Having I had no um, access, interest, I should say, in album rock uh, before this album. But this was the gateway song. This and Round Here, watching those songs on MTV and VH1, led to wanting to be interested in listening to the whole album. And uh, But this is, I mean, to me, it's just a perfect radio single. It's, mm-hmm. They never did a better radio song than this. And I, I think that any there's a short list of bands in this era that put together something as perfect over four and a half minutes as they did for this. I think it's just a awesome song. And some people were just like, oh, God, that's I, I'm so sick of that song. I heard it a million times. Right. But... Hearing it again, it just reminds me it's functionally perfect. You know, you had you had a moment earlier in the podcast where you got mad at people for potentially... Uh, oh, turn this part up. You got preemptively mad at music snobs for making fun of you for saying that this was an important album in your life. Mm-hmm. Recently, my eight-year-old Dean asked me what was my favorite song ever, and I had to think about it, mm. and I went with Mr. Jones. Interesting. He called me a pussy and beat the shit out of me, <laughs> but I had it coming. You put your mouth on the curb, <laughs> which just seemed brutal in for retrospect. For an eight-year-old. Uh, Mr. Jones debuted on the Billboard Hot 100 in February 94. It was released on December 1st, 93. It was in the top 10 five weeks after its release. It reached the peak U.S. chart position of number five. I don't think they ever did better than that. Uh, it is also a number top 10 hit in France and number one in Canada. Once again, the U.K. audience. This might be the lowest moment for the U.K. folks since voting Robbie Williams' Angels to be the song that should be lowered into the They're probably going to turn this episode off and go re-listen to our Robbie Williams episode. (laughs) Come on, guys. You need to listen to August and everything after. I I beg of you. I absolutely beg of you. Now, Bob, you mentioned uh, the kind of slower songs. Uh, They really start in earnest right here with Perfect Blue Buildings. And I just want to point out that every one of these songs, in my opinion, has some type of hook in, uh, hook to it, whether it's the melody or a specific part of the song mm-hmm. that I feel like um, takes a song up a notch. It's just one of those albums where every song, even those songs nobody knows, has that type of moment. And I will, I'll bring it up when it gets to it on this song. But this is another, this is like a slow burn Counting Crows classic. Down the street from your hotel, baby. I stay at home with my disease. Ain't this position familiar, darling? Well, all monkeys do what they see. 
Dirt's going through some shit in this one. He's definitely dealing with some shit and letting you know about it. This is <clears throat> definitely showed up, Bob, on a slowdown mix. Oh, sleepy mixes left and right for me. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, because it hits that spot. I also feel like this is a song that I listen to a lot um, dealing with a breakup. I feel like this is a great... I'm depressed and I just want to curl up and not talk to anyone mm-hmm. and listen to Perfect Blue Buildings in the in the Dark. Yep. I've it's like the best song for that. I've been there. In fact, it's kind of weird talking about it in a well-lit garage and speaking to microphones on it because it's kind of a personal song. It totally is, yeah. <laughs> As you were describing weird. that, I just thought about me doing exactly that, just being like under my covers on Quake Lane just listening to this just being sad it's such a great sad it's so song good. it's 4:30 a.m. on a tuesday it doesn't get much worse than this holy shit this is so sad and perfect <laughs> and specifically sad it's good to have songs like this you need songs like this and it's good to have people like adam duritz who knows exactly how to hit the right notes for a song like this because even he, as the, the band went on and their, the quality of their output started to decline, this really happens with all bands, but it, it happened to them as well, that this song could go very poorly and it could, it could turn in a very bad, down a bad street if you don't have it, the right balance to it. Right. And it could just sound like sad bastard music. Yeah. All right, here's the part I was, this part gets me. It's, that's, it's subtle, yeah. but it, that's a little a different kind of moment in that song that I think just is kind of takes you somewhere. Well, that's T-Bone right there. T-Bone Burnett, T-Bone the producer. Burnett, the producer. Good for fucking T-Bone, bro. Right? T-Bone did a nice job. He T- had a nice run. Yeah, T-Bone did all right. T-Bone did basically every hit album from 1992 to 1996. Yeah. Perfect Blue Buildings. Uh, and that song picks up at the end where like he's just... Just giving it his all. And that's definitely a song that 14-year-old me wasn't ready for. But a few years later, when you're like legitimately sad in your late teens, right. it's there for you. Right. It, it kind of checks a box when you're 14, when you're just sad about bullshit and just being confused teen. But then you, you actually experience grief in your life. And then a song like that is like, oh, okay. And that's kind of a genius gift for Durst. Yeah. He was able to do that. Um, and we haven't talked about it really yet, though, Bob, but or gotten into it. But so we were um, on the same soccer team. Neither of us were particularly good players. I was great. I was just kind of bringing uh, it down so I could hang out with you. Yeah, that doesn't sound right. And I, I remember there, we both were battling injuries at the time. For whatever reason. Being lazy pieces of shit. <laughs> Is that an injury now? They would have double sessions. They definitely don't exist now, uh, probably at Pearl River High School, at the extent that it ex- existed back then. But it would be like a 7 a.m. practice, which would be largely filled with just uh, calisthenics and sprints and running around the perimeter yep. of the field. A lot of perimeters. With just a little bit of soccer mixed in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you would take a two-hour break or a three-hour break. 
and then they would have a second practice around two o'clock. It was like they were kind of like, all right, when can the sun be at its most right. punishing point? That's when we'll bring the kids out for we're, a second we're, round. We're trying to kill the fat ones, <laughs> like what you could do back in the early nineties. That is that's why there wasn't really an obesity de- epidemic <laughs> until now because you're not allowed to kill the fat ones anymore. I know they, they were just killing them, uh, and nobody complained. They're just like, hey, man, it was hot. What are you going to do? Um, but we would kill time in between the practices, um, drinking giant Arizona iced teas outside Walgreens, um, and eating like hostess cakes. Yeah, it was just you know, let's let's find a way to get the calorie intake back and wipe away everything <laughs> that we maybe would have achieved in the early session. And then the second practice would be probably two to four or something. Right. And then, um, and then we would, I remember we went back to your place a lot at the time, uh, because it was close to the high school Mm -hmm. or closer than my house was, which was also fairly close, but, uh, we would listen to this County Crows album. Yeah. And then I, I don't know. I think you had the CD. I didn't have a CD player yet. I didn't even get a CD player until my 15th birthday. So I burned, I guess, what, what, what did we call it when you would tape, you would just tape it you off just the CD? tape it off. Yeah, I had a stereo that had the CD to tape capabilities. Right. So, so I would tape, I taped that CD uh, and I just played this album relentlessly. I still have the tape to this day. And uh, my brother, Kevin, God bless him, who's about six years younger than me, and we shared the same room until... Uh, we were both in our teenage years. He, to this day, and I think he brought it up at uh, my best man speech, he was subjected as a eight-year-old to this album, <laughs> basically on repeat. If it wasn't this, oh he was listening God. to WFAN, and there was really no other, there was no other mode. It was either August and Everything After or like Joe Beningo on Overnights on FAN. This is just, you just... Freaked me the fuck out realizing that Kevin was as old as Dean is when we were hanging out <laughs> and you were abusing him with the Counting Crows. That's insane to me. I know. I just, I would play that tape. And if my brother wasn't in the room and I was just in there doing homework or whatever, I would have my door closed and I would just hit play and listen to these songs over and over and over. favorite songs on the album it has a lot of personal meaning but it also we're now 
a minute and a half into the song, there's been no chorus yet. Right. It's not a conventional song structure wise. No, but when that chorus hits, it hits. It hits. And David Geffen's like, ah! No, he wasn't. Oh, <laughs> oh no! Oh, monster. Help me! <laughs> Sounds horrible. <laughs> and Dirt's like coming up to him. You okay, man? <laughs> Poor David Geffen. You'd think you'd have the perfect life. All right, here is the chorus. It finally shows up at 152. So as I've said on this podcast, I my first concert was Weird Al opening for the Monkees in 87. Tremendous show. Um, it's been downhill ever since. Yeah. Uh, but the first real show ever, and we've talked about it on the show, is uh, Cake opening for Counting Crows at the Beacon Theater in New York. Mm-hmm. And I have very vivid memories of me, you, and our friend Sam at the show. And this was me and Sam's quote-unquote song. Sam is a girl. And uh, when this song Wait, came what? on. Wait, time out. Yeah. What? <laughs> Sam is a, a, was a woman. That a girl. is blowing my mind as well. <laughs> well, you forgot? I th- thought she was a dude this whole time. <laughs> yes, Sam she was. Had, she had a lot of qualities of a woman. Oh, right. Now, now that you say that, yeah, it was way off. And it was, it, looking back, it feels like a John Hughes movie or something. Right. But that when that song came on, that we embraced, and it was like a very, like, like memorable moment in my childhood and that's that's one of the best things about being you know a teenager is when you have those pop moments we were talking about how boring it is to be a teenager yeah. so when like things like hugely important things happen uh in your mind it's how it feels you just you'll never forget them we're yep. like almost oh you're 40 i'm in my late 30s at this stage um still remember that day like it was yesterday this song brings it all back totally I mean, her name was Samantha. Oh, so stupid. <laughs> um, yeah, this song, also from a very specific personal memory with a girl, my college girlfriend, who I was like in love with immediately. Like, I remember like moving into the dorms. I and, do recall that. And as I was. I like moved my stuff in and I was sitting on the front step and there were two small dorms next to each other, West Hall and Ward Hall. And they were right next to each other. And I remember a car pulled up and she got out and she was kind of standing right in between the two doors. It was like wind blowing in her hair. It was. It really was. Spotlight on her. And I didn't know like which one she was going to go to. And I just like under, I was like, please go, please come to West Hall. Please go to West Hall. (laughs) And she walked in past me and like smiled and said hello. And I was just in love with her. And it took time for me to she had a boyfriend that was kind of falling apart and it took time for me to ask her out and I finally did and we went out and we got back to the dorm and we were hanging out and I had to put on an album so I put on gross Anna August Be- put on Anna Begins and <laughs> you were really going for it it was our first kiss and it was like it was like the most magical thing you could have asked for it is for uh, people of a certain age our age if you're born in the early 80s basically or very late 70s. Um, we brought it up recently, that movie, The Rules of Attraction, right. where James Vanderbeek's character 
when he's trying to get laid, he picks up an acoustic guitar and he plays Anna Begins. And I always loved that like touch in the movie because it was so spot on. And it wasn't like a big single. It wasn't a single. Nobody really, unless you're a right. Counting Crows fan, you probably don't know that song. So it wasn't a single, like Bob said. Uh, but that was such a perfect touch because if you were a sensitive bro or just sensitive in general and you were that of that age, that would be the song that you would try to learn to right. play for a girl. The hacky version of that would be Wonderwall. Right. If you wanted to be a little more advanced in your game, you go Anna Begins. Well, I mean, for Rules of Attraction, if you want to be more mainstream, he would have just played Wonderwall. Right. No, this is like a specific type of song. Very well played by, what's the author's name again? Brett Easton Ellis. Brett Easton Ellis. See, the album at this point, halfway through about, is in such a groove where every song kind of flows into the next. Yep. Killing it. so badly. Somebody you hear that B3? You love that, that B3. B3. Listen to her purr. <laughs> Staring back at me. In fact, when I was talking about earlier that I this album, every song has a, a hook that I that makes me think of the song. The B3 plays a prominent role. Mm. We'll get to that. Wanted to see you walking backwards. You get the sensation of you coming home. I wanted to see you walking away from me without the sensation. Time and time again, Bob. So 14-year-old Bob wasn't ready for the previous two songs. I think this was the first one following the three sort of singles. Not that Omaha was a single, but the three that you could really latch on to. It was kind of, there was like that lull of like, I don't relate to this. I'm not ready for this. Time and time again was kind of on the bubble Mm. where I remember like, okay, yeah, I got this. I I like this one. And it's another one that a few years later, this was my favorite song on the album. And it kind of goes up and down for me. But it just has so many great little parts to it. Yeah, I was going to say like, this song is one on the album that I overlook a little bit. But then I listen to it and I'll be like, oh, man, this is a great song. And then I think this song even got overlooked a little bit when they do it live. I don't know if they do this one. Yeah, I don't have any memories of them doing this live. Not really. but um, Or live doing this live. Now, the best part of the live Counting Crows co-headlining tour, which they did a couple times. They did it recently as well. Yeah. Uh, They went back to that well. Yeah. uh, Is that Duritz would come out for Dolphin's Cry. I mean, come on. Come on. Uh, People. People. And then Kowalczyk would come out for Hanging Around. Yep. All right. Here's the part. B3. We need to empty out the Throwback Podcast fund and just buy a fucking amazing B3 Hammond organ (laughs) and just stick it right in the corner. If you guys want to hear more B3 on the Throwback Podcast, (laughs) patreon.com slash throwbackpod. I mean, just in terms of like as a piece of furniture, it'd be cool. 
It would be a great first. Just having a Hammond B3 organ in the corner of the garage. Like, what a great conversation piece. And then uh, when people come over, they're like, oh, do you play? You'd be like, no. Yeah. It was I fucking love it. Every song it's in. It's from August. Can you, can you play it for me? How much did that cost? Uh, $12,000. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't know how to play it? No, we've never no. plugged it in, actually. We're not musicians at all. No, but uh, you ever uh, heard it on Time and Time Again? <laughs> What's Time and Time Again? <laughs> feel so bad for your guests. When I think of heaven, it's me in a black wing bird. I think of flying down in Listen to this from Durrett's Bob. I read this book in college when I was at Berkeley called Henderson, the Rain King. And the main character in the book was kind of this big open wound of a person, Eugene Henderson. He just sort of bled all over everyone around him. For better or worse, full of joy, full of sorrow, he just made a mess of everything. And when I wrote the song years later, it didn't really have anything to do with the book, except for the book had kind of become a totem for how I felt about creativity and writing that it was just this thing where you took everything inside of you and just let it all out durritz durritz <laughs> durritzing durritzing all the way you you when you read shit like that you you understand why he nailed rachel and monica like you totally. understand it yeah. because who would have a better rap over a couple glasses of wine than Adam Duritz. Just a guy just pouring it all out there. Like Jennifer Aniston never had a chance. People are like, what would she, why, what was she doing with him? She could be right. with anybody. D- did you hear what I just read? <laughs> you give then, her half a bottle of red wine and sit in some like coffee house or whatever or a, a cozy little bar and restaurant cafe in LA yep. and Duritz is dropping that on you? It's over. Then a few years later, you know, the hair doesn't look as good. He's getting a little older, a little puffier. But you're still Duritz on the inside, and that's how you get Emmy Rossum. Right. Because you're still able you're still able to rap like that. And you're rich. And you're very rich. That line always gets me. Love that line. The greatest thing about this song, and this song has one very important purpose in the album. It's for when People who complain about the Counting Crows and call them depressing rock. This would be the song that you'd be like, no, 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 listen to this. Right. And you'd put on Rain King. It had a very important purpose. Yeah, like this was the song that like I could play for my dad and be like, no, no, they're cool. That's, yes, it's a very, yeah, it, it was a very important point on the album. It's great track sequencing uh, after a couple of depressing songs and there, there are a couple more that will follow it. 
to have this upbeat, great, jangly, kind of almost REM-inspired song. But I want to ask you one thing, Bob. Yeah. So I'm still struggling with it to this day. Where do you come down on how the song ends? Oh, with that Yelp? Yeah. Are you pro or anti the Yelp? You know, I've, I've, we listen I've to fluctuated. It? Let me hear it one more time, and All I right. think I'll make a definitive we'll, okay. statement. It's so ridiculous. I'm in. I'm in. I'm back in. I'll say this, that I'll enjoy it in the company of a fellow Cannon Crows fan, but this is when it's very good to have, if it's on a playlist (laughs) and it's on the 10-second fade out and fade into the next song, which I love doing for mixes. You could lose the yeah. You lose the yeah. (laughs) Because it is a little bit cringy. It's asking a lot of somebody who doesn't love the Crows. Your dad's not going to get, yeah. No, no. <laughs> All right. So where do we come down on? <laughs> I, I'm in now. I'm okay. Guess what? I'm a 40-year-old man. What am I trying to do? Yelp away, Adam Duritz. Be you. Do you. Be you. You. Be, you do you. Do I'll do you, me. Duritz. No one's going to judge you in this place. You're in a safe space. Yeah! I wish he just did it through every song. At the end of every song? You just ended every song with it. That would be pretty great. This is, to me, like slow Omaha. This is such a great home run. This one could be laying in the weeds for the throwback uh, playlist. Oh, wow. Just to throw it out there. It's just laying in the weeds. It's like, no one's going to think of me. No one's going to think they want to take a walk down Sullivan Street. Well, maybe we do. Just put it out there. All right. Fall down wherever we meet. Pretty soon now. Won't come. This is such great music to be lovelorn too. Yep. The whole album. I think that it's, it's it's its greatest achievement. It's just such a great it's such a great album to just be by yourself. Like you were saying under the covers or driving aimlessly in your car by yourself. And you just the song is just kind of the album is just along with you on the ride. Yep. Or walking down West 4th Street past Sullivan Street in New York and just thinking about <laughs> all the shit that's wrong with your life. God damn it, Duritz. He fucking did it. He fucking did it. And you can never take it away from him. No. Yeah, maybe the hair got ridiculous. He started to look like a pineapple. Right. Yeah, maybe he packed a few on, but who hasn't? Yeah, maybe they did a song for Shrek and then like a coke campaign and that kind of stuff. It happens. <laughs> and did, decided to do a second tour with Live. And then tour with Live again. And Matchbox 20. Like, sure, maybe. 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 
maybe we have some Adam Dirt stories up our sleeve that we haven't shared yet. And maybe you should never share. I don't know. Should we? I don't know. I don't know, man. It's, it doesn't feel right during Sullivan Street. I'll say that. It's certainly not. Okay. Just imagine the rap. Duritz, Aniston, Cox. Uh, who else was it? It was a murderer's row. I mean, I would... I'm going to type in women, Adam Duritz. Oh, don't do that. When I was... Or, or do it. When I was doing uh, the post show in New York and we were doing a sketch comedy, I would make these dumb little sketches and then any if I wanted to like hook up with a girl or get her to come hang out I'd say oh you should come back and look at this comedy video I made and it would work they would come watch like a dumb little three minute video I made of dumb comedy Adam Duritz was doing that with Sullivan Street like, <laughs> he was able to be like hey hey, Jen come back and listen to the song I'm working on and then play her this I mean come on it's, I mean it's not even fair Bob I got a name that's going to blow your mind on his roster. Want to talk about greatest hits? Emmy Rossum, who we talked about. In late period, Dirtz got Rossum. Uh, let's see. Samantha Mathis, Christina Applegate, Mary Louise Parker, Courtney Cox, Jennifer Aniston, Winona Ryder, Monica Potter, of Mrs. Potter's Lullaby, of one course, of my favorite songs. Of course. Lara Flynn Boyle. And last but not least, Bob. Well, kind of least. Trishelle Canatella. No! Of Real World <laughs> Vegas fame. Wait, what? According to Ranker, which is a website that's all give it, <laughs> he reportedly dated Trishelle Canatella in 2006. Known, of course, for the real world Las Vegas. She also appeared on The Challenge. Oh she appeared in Playboy, God. The Surreal Life, Punk, Fear Factor. And he appeared, uh, she appeared apparently in Duritz's bedroom. Come on, Duritz. You're Adam Duritz. We've talked about Trishel on the show. We have, yeah. Bob actually thought he had a chance to uh, bet her, not, as I recall. Maybe not better, but I. Definitely could have made out. You were like, I think we could screw. I those were your exact words. Those may have been my exact words. I can words. screw her. We were visiting LA and Trishel was at a bar and she was definitely fun and um, flirtatious. Yep. And Bob was like, I think this. I think we can hump. <laughs> definitely didn't say that, but I think we could have. Man. And that was right around the time of Duritz got her. According was, to this, it was 06. This was what, 04? Four, yeah. It was pre-Duritz. Would have got there first. But not first. We had a friend in New York. I don't know how much we want to say this, Bob. We had a friend in New York, a girl friend that we were both close with. And um, she dated Adam Dirt. She dated Adam Dirt. Straight up. It was the most incredible thing for us. It was surreal as fuck. She is a beautiful girl. And she went on a few days. Perfect Dirt's girl. She's um, blonde, young girl next door. A farm girl from New Jersey who became an actress. Like. Everything you would think Duritz would be into. And he was. And I think the most, we won't get into like the two personal stuff, but the most insane moments for us was we'd all be together and Duritz would text her and we would help her 
craft the text back right. to Adam Duritz. I I remember that specifically happening on New Year's Eve 2006. Right. That uh, so this would have been shortly, I guess, after the Tricell relationship fell apart. <laughs> Uh, and they had moved on, and uh, yes, that she she was not exclusive with Duritz because I think she actually chose our friend over Duritz that particular. She evening. did, and that was one of the most insane things ever. It blew our minds. It blew our minds that <laughs> she could have gone to Duritz, but she hooked up with our friend instead. And uh, that was the day that Adam Duritz wrote another sad song, I would imagine. The saddest song. The saddest of songs. I wrote a sad song that day. <laughs> so did I. Say, speaking of sad songs, here's Ghost Train. because it's cold where she comes from. She climbs aboard because she's scared of getting older in the snow. Love is a ghost train rumbling through the darkness. Oh, me, dark. Listen to that B3, Bob. We gotta get one in here. Let's get one. Just the conversation Let's piece. Do it. Let's sell the garage to get a B3. Listen to the B3 in this song. It's gonna fly. Oh! That's it. I'm joining the dad bods, your band yes. bods, and I'm playing the Hammond B3. Let's organ. do it. All right, now we definitely got to get down to B3. <laughs> I am in, and I'm on the B3. I'm going to learn to play the bitch. Oh, we're learning together, buddy. $12,000. Every <laughs> cent will be worth it. Listen to this thing. Listen to her purr like a kitty. Every song is better with two things. A Hammond B3 organ and a harmonica. I want to hear one song that wasn't improved by a B3 or an H. <laughs> an H Monica. <laughs> an H Monica. <laughs> and a Mund B3 or. Uh, before we talk about Ghost Train, um, our friend did have one story where she went on a date with Adam and a uh, guy came over to the table. Oh, this one hurt. Yeah. And was like, sorry to interrupt. I'm just such a big fan. I love Hootie and the Blowfish. Like, sincerely. And she said, Duritz was just like, uh, thanks. Thanks, man. And then he wrote this song. <laughs> the circus is falling down on its knees. Big top is I thought he was Hootie. I have a lot to say about this sad sack of shit song that I love. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's listen to it. I like, you know, hats off to Duritz though. Actually, keep the hat on, but the the fact that somebody would mistake him for Darius Rucker of Hootie and the Blowfish, <laughs> and he would just in front of his girlfriend or the girl he was trying to bed, yeah. and he would just be like, "Thanks, man." No, I know. Look, I got. I've I've been mistaken for Josh Groban before. I I know what it's like in those moments. Like you just have to roll with it. Right off your back. I need a phone call. 
this was the song. This wasn't like, I'm just sad about a breakup. This was, she's now dating my friend. And I... I'm outside of Baltimore. (laughs) Physically. Yeah. Now, this was... uh, This is as sad as it gets for this album, for music. I mean, write a sadder song than this. I don't think you could write a sadder song than this. Wait, you're... Who the... How long did you date this girl? It was a couple years, right? Yeah. A year? Two? Just about two years. What kind of friend dates her? Oh, not a good one. How is that possible? How close were you to this guy? Close enough where I never spoke to him again. And if we were ever in the same... If we had been in the same room, I would have physically attacked him. Did did he ever try to address it with you? No, we never spoke. Oh, man. That's rough. It's funny because when I started describing that, I thought of it as a hypothetical, but then I realized, yeah, that actually happened to me. So I was definitely listening to this in Baltimore, dealing with that. Mm. I miss you. I guess that I should. Oh, no. This is a song that you, you, it should have to be, you, you should need a prescription to listen to this <laughs> if you're true. sad, because it's, it is that devastating. Yeah. Uh, if you have dealt with some type of heartache and this one is one like you could put on perfect blue buildings or time and time again, or, you know, Sullivan street and it will hit you in the fields, but this one could fucking kill you. Yeah. This would murder you. <laughs> this will murder your heart. Bob is right back in that place right now. Don't like this place. But this was also the song I would put on jukeboxes at shitty bars as I was leaving. Just a nice little fuck you to everybody. This night is over. (laughs) Everybody go home and cry. I mean, we could double cross the throwback podcast playlist with this. (laughs) Just really just bring people down. stick it to them. (laughs) Coming after Hotel Yorba. All right. Raining in Baltimore, the penultimate track. But it's so good. It's Again, so good. In the wrong hands, writing a song like that and performing it that way, where it's just the piano, Duritz, and a little bit of an accordion, right. that can go very wrong and just be maudlin and shitty. And instead, it is incredibly kind of emotive in all the, the best ways. It, it achieves exactly what I imagine Duritz hoped to achieve with it the in only terms t- of connecting with people. The only two artists that could pull that off with just a piano and an accordion are Adam Duritz and Weird Al Weird Yankovic. Al Yankovic yeah. That's it. Nobody else could do it. The Weird Al Polka. You and I did not like that song at 15, 14 years old because we weren't ready for it. Oh, yeah, I hadn't had my heart broken yet. Right, we would just complain <laughs> about that song. You need, to, you need to go through some life to I had that paint, song. I had pined for like girls my age by then but i i had not that's one of the craziest things about being young is when you are 13 14 15 16 and you think you know what pain is when it comes to relationships you don't even know like whatever you think imagine it could be it is the, it was 10 times worse than that like i never thought like a a breakup could hurt as much as it did mm-hmm. it felt like a death 
And I didn't think that. I had no idea that was coming around the corner. It's better not to know, really. No, you need to just experience it. Dirge tried to warn us, but you're not ready. You, you, don't, you don't know till you know. Now we know, Bob. All right, the final track. And I will say this, Bob. Famously, on our 100th episode, I've said it about 96 times, I usually like the final track to be a bit of a slow down, uh, kind of looking back, a final breath. Uh, before you go away. Right. But the way they they sequence this album, I think it was important to go out in a different way. And that's A Murder of One. Because you couldn't go out on Raining of Baltimore. That would, that would stick to your formula, but everybody would kill themselves. Yeah. song if you and i didn't understand raining in baltimore or didn't have the emotional capability at that time in our life to understand that song i remember this was a song that you and i were like this is the fucking song yeah this is the one that if you like mr jones or around here no 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 a murder of the one. real fans know a murder of one So one of those songs, Bob, doesn't happen a lot, but the name of the band yep. is in the song. It's in it, and if you're seeing them live, you're screaming at that moment. You're like, ah! You're David you're Geffen. You're David Geffen. Ah! You're just going full Geffen in that moment. <laughs> uh, we'll turn it up when it gets to that point. But yeah, this... I just this is such a great song. It's and this is a staple so of their live shows. Right. I can hear him every... Reason. It's hard not to hear him at this part right here. After uh, shame, shame, shame. Everybody get up! <laughs> get the hell get up! up! Yeah. Get the hell up! No, yeah. Adam, that's not you, bro. <laughs> get behind the fucking piano. <laughs> he never played the B3, though, by the way. No. He's a piano guy. Right, here it comes. Walking up a hillside in the snow Casting shadows on the winter sky As you stood there <laughs> it's another one of those parts in this album. Yeah. I mean, you want to talk about hitting a hitting a vein as a songwriter? It's just he has. There's so many great melodies and hooks in the songs, and lyrically, it's. It's got so much great depth to it. It's just, I just, I just, I can't say enough about this album. I just think it's, it's such a like perfect piece of music as a whole, yeah. and it's one of my favorite albums of all time. It's definitely in my top five. I would say. Completely agree. Yeah, I remember, I remember as a fan of this band and just kind of knowing that I was going to follow them wherever they went from this album. Loving this song, 
and wanting it to be out there and just knowing it wasn't going to be because it was the last song on the album. Just having that logic of this is not going to be out there. So this is just for us. Yeah. And then they, we did Recovering the Satellites, their second album on this podcast. And they, it's commendable that they didn't try to recreate this album. Uh, but this definitely falls in the, the what if category for me. Yeah, maybe uh, if they would have stayed on this road, they might have had another like, classic in the vein of this. And I do like Recovering the Satellites a lot. But they, this was so special that I, wanted, I wouldn't have minded if he like, hung out in this territory for another right. 11 or 12 tracks. I think you could, you could probably Frankenstein their albums after This Desert Life to make a version of this. It's not going to be as good, but... They've been able to sprinkle good songs throughout their career, even though the albums haven't stood the test of time or been as digestible or enjoyable. But they they still have it in them, and he still has it in him to write really good songs. And this album fucked him up a little bit. He he's talked about it, and that Counting Crows uh, cake show that we saw in December of '95 that we were talking about, um, or '96, I think it was. Six, yeah. He didn't play Mr. Jones. And I remember coming home and telling my dad, he's like, how was the show? It was the first concert I've ever been to. I was like, good. He's like, oh, they play Jones? I was like, no. He's like, what? My dad was so mad. <laughs> yeah, he I couldn't pl- imagine that this band that he only knew one song from him wouldn't play that one song. Yeah. But I think Duritz kind of was, this album was so huge and life-changing that it legitimately, and he's obviously such a sensitive dude. Yeah. This fucked with him. I mean, it sold probably about 10 million copies. It was you know, the type of album that you're never the same after it comes out. And you know what? That story, it speaks well of us that we didn't immediately write him off for not playing Mr. Jones. The yeah. song, one of the songs that we really wanted to hear, obviously. Would we definitely like, love to hear Mr. But Jones. But we knew he was going, we knew he was going through shit. He also like broke his leg the night before. There was a lot of things he tore, happening. He literally tore his ACL, tore his ACL yeah. jumping off the, the drum kit. Probably playing Mr. Jones. So there was shit going on in this guy's life. We gave, uh, we gave him a pass. I think we always gave gave the man a pass. We gave him many passes. Um, I'll just play one more song. You mentioned, Bob, the August and Everything After song. Yes. But I, I would rather play the song that also came out as a single in this era, uh, which is Einstein on the Beach, off the Rarities album. Okay, we could do that. Off of uh, whose Rarities album was this? David Geffen. Oh! Fun fact, Bob, this single was released in the middle of the August and Everything after album cycle between Round Here and Rankin. And Duritz was not happy. No. I guess you could maybe hear a little bit of that horrible Shrek song in this. Uh, nah. Maybe this is the good version of what the Shrek I think song the, yeah, was. This is definitely the good version. Accidentally in love. Uh, but this was a number one track, Bob, on modern rock charts. Mr. Jones wasn't even a and number one And it's something song. that Adam Duritz will never play live. He, I think he's still pissed to this day that Geffen released this at all. Like, oh! 
I gotta release it. Oh. <laughs> Don't release oh, it, man. <laughs> Can't help it. Yeah, but it's a great song. It's a great single. And I think, I think it's probably their only number one, right? It's their only number one modern rock right. hit. Uh, anyway. All right, Bob. So there it is. Episode 100, August and everything after by the Counting Crows. I think we like it. I think we're fans. <laughs> All right, let's pick a song for the throw po- Throwback Podcast playlist. It's actually song 101. Uh, but, uh, you know, only we think about that. Right. I don't think in the grand scheme of life that really matters. Does you, not. You know what does matter, Dan? What? Just how wonderful our Patreonies oh, are. Oh, now more than ever, we need to give it up to the Patronies. Yeah. For making this podcast go and making it to episode 100. Yeah. And you know what? How about this? I'm just going to, I'm just going to throw the net even wider. Do it. All the fans that are listening. Yes. People that are on Twitter hitting us up. People that uh, like Instagram photos that Eric in Philly puts up. People that send us emails. We've gotten some incredible emails over the years. People like Vanessa Francis, who emailed us a while ago. I, I never even emailed her back because I'm not good at this. Ooh. But um, just to say that when she was an Australian living in London, that she loved the Counting Crows and bands like that and she couldn't imagine ever listening to a podcast where people would be sitting around talking about these albums that she loved <laughs> growing up and people like uh we got you we got you ruthie lewis and her brother robbie who are fans of this pod ruthie wants me to tell her brother to go fuck himself <laughs> i mean just love getting emails nice. at the throwback pod at gmail.com and again patreon.com slash throwback pod courtney and wyatt who are just sticking in there, sponsoring this thing, keeping us alive. Heroes. Bruno, the sponsor. Legend. Legend. Straight up legend. A bizarre, mysterious man living in the woods. And everybody like over the course, everyone over the course of these 100 episodes that have given $2 a month and more, like, thank you guys. Sincerely, thank you guys. We are going to buy an organ. Bob's never sincere. We are going to buy an organ with your money. So a B3, baby. A big B3. That's going to burn with the rest of the garage. We're going to buy it and then immediately douse it in (laughs) kerosene and light a match. What else would you expect from us? (laughs) Uh, All right, Bob, let's pick the song. What are you thinking? Because you teased Sullivan Street earlier. I did, and then I heard, all right, these are my three. Actually, no, you do the three this time. It's the last week I did the three. So give me the three songs you're thinking about, and if we have... um, man something crossover that will solve the question i am thinking the three are i liked you throwing sullivan street out there so i'm gonna stay with that okay i'm also gonna say rain king okay and i'm gonna throw out a murder of one that's it yeah it feels right that's it Murder of One is the latest addition to the Throwback Podcast playlist. Get it on Apple Music or Spotify. It's mostly Spotify. But really, it's Apple Music. Okay. Prove it. Fucking prove it. <laughs> I'm going to drop it right now into the playlist. Update. No, it's not time now. No, I'm doing it. That's the, that is the difference between the Apple playlist is updated in real time. <laughs> 
Grab the Apple Playlist spoils. <laughs> yes, it ruins the show. <laughs> to get a little, settle some scores. We're still not good at this. The Apple Playlist is all about score settling. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> um, but uh, yes, again, as Bob said, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening uh, to these uh, episodes. They are uh, frequently stupid. Uh, but I get it. If you are one of those people that's like, it's cool to hear these albums again. It's cool to hear people talking about them. Uh, that's why we thought people would enjoy it. And if you do, uh, just know that we have really enjoyed it as well. So yeah. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you want to hear us do hard candy for episode 200, <laughs> make sure to tell your friends to subscribe and rate. Because if we get to 200, we're probably doing hard candy. That's our last episode is hard candy. <laughs> if 100 is August and everything after, the last one is going to be hard candy. Oh so that's God. something to look forward to slash dread. Although Miami is a banger. <laughs> Miami is a banger. Total banger. All right. That's it. Bob, good stuff. Good stuff. We did it. We did the thing. Yeah. And we will continue to do the thing. And remember. You're not getting older. The music is.